Hey, it's Matt. If you're a baseball fan like I am, you've probably been watching the Mets vs. Braves games the last few days now. And I gotta say, I've always thought of a sports team as a family. But today's guest opened my eyes in a pretty cool way about the big difference between a team and a family. It's a nugget that you certainly are going to want to hear. We also are going to cover why every entrepreneur needs a business moat, one of the simplest ways to increase profit margins, and what the one thing is that makes 40% of entrepreneurial ventures fail. And we all like specials, so today's guest has a special invitation just for our listeners here on Pass the Secret Sauce, so make sure to listen to the end of the episode to catch what the special is. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to take a second to thank all of our listeners out there. We've been tossing around ideas here at the studio, and we all came up with that we're going to call the first in the world interactive podcast. I don't know if it actually is the first in the world, but it is pretty damn cool. So if you have any business struggles or questions that you are trying to get answered in your own business, we have access to experts that can answer those questions right here on the air for you. So what we wanted to do was create a channel where you are able to text or call in those messages or those questions that you're struggling with, and we will do our best to get them answered by our experts. So all you have to do is just send a text message to 404-99-SAUCE. Again, that was 404-99-SAUCE, and we will do our best to get those questions answered for you. Again, that was 404-99-SAUCE. You know, when I talk to our guests, every person has a unique story about how they ended up in this entrepreneurial life, how they developed trait by trait to what they became today, How about you? What is your story that helped you find your path to where you made it to today? So both me and my co-founder, we actually uh, grew up in a military family. So our father was in the Indian Army. Uh, And uh, so dinner table was very much a discipline dinner, uh, sitting and and again as a youngster uh, and, you know, having time and family time in a area or a region that was kind of in a not in an urban area so you're mm-hmm. living in a military uh uh fort or contonement as they would call them in india and uh so and it's fascinating that way so that was our dinner table was uh i was me and my brother my father and my mother my mm-hmm. father was an army officer so a lot of uh you know and living in a military cantonment was also a, so you were living the ethos of military every day yeah uh, all your young young life and uh so that was what I would say was a youngster growing up uh, in India. So most times it would be a school near base uh, where you are going with a lot of people uh, from the base. So you, it's actually a camaraderie that you build. Uh, you see a camaraderie that the, the, the forces itself has, but then as families too, you're building camaraderie. Uh, and uh, every three years you're getting posted out and uh, mm-hmm. you go into a new city or a new town and, and in India, uh, it's very diverse uh, and every state has a new language every state has a new oh, wow. food so you kind of end up you know learning new languages assimilating in new groups of people so adapt adaptability was uh, was required yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and every three years you would kind of move that and then till I get to college 
uh, I think that was very much something that was uh, just something you were traveling uh, pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're, you're willing to experiment, you're willing to restart every three years with friends, with curriculum, with everything, academics. Uh, so yes, I mean, I built a certain level. I mean, I wish, I mean, for, I wish for my friends that they go through one school all day uh, and with the same set of friends and, and that builds a different set of loyalty uh, and camaraderie. But uh, again, when you're not given that cards, you, you play with what you have and mm -hmm. that gives you a very different set. I mean, every, and then again, when you're in a group of people that are also similar context, uh, you make, you, you, you find a different kind of bond. Uh, so yes, absolutely. Resilience, uh, understanding, uh, and adaptability were all part of uh, that upbringing. And and how do you feel like those those skills or that foundation has impacted your entrepreneurial path? Very much, very much. Right. Uh, you don't get too uh, fixated on uh, a specific uh, building one thing forever. Uh, so you kind of want to do that. You want to make it as long as it works. It's awesome. If it doesn't, that's okay. You do the next experiment, next idea. Uh, and I always say entrepreneurship is like playing a video game. You never win it in the first game. Uh, and, but the fact is you don't give up also after the first game. Uh, and, uh, and that is the pursuit of constant thing. And that, that's kind of what you learn, uh, growing up in a, any military family, uh, actually most of the militaries in the world. And then, uh, and that's kind of obviously helped me to kind of make sure that uh, I don't take <clears throat> the permanency or lack of when you're building a, a startup or, or, or an entrepreneurial venture. That's so interesting. I think in the end, we're all craving a bit of stability. Even throughout the chaos, we're all still seeking that stability. It's the goal, right? I think the pursuit is still stability, <clears throat> but you don't take... Uh, lack of it as uh, as a big issue mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. i think we all are trying to form i mean even when i was in the, uh, you know traveling uh, with the military uh, uh, being as a military kid uh, yes you wanted long lasting friends yes i mean every time i would try for that and so on so friendships and so on so forth or long lasting you know school bonds and so on so but you know you don't take it if it doesn't happen doesn't happen you move on uh, mm -hmm. if it happens that's that's awesome and, and the same thing is uh, with, you know, building a startup, you kind of uh, work together. Uh, obviously, come build, growing up in a military family, also, you learn a lot about the military ethos, which is how uh, I run the firm at UX Reactor, which is a lot about one for all, all for one. Uh, and uh, we, we take care of each other. We are a team. Uh, we are not a family. We are a team. Uh, and uh, we each, each, you know, look out for each other. And then we kind of uh, push each other. Uh, it's a nurturing uh, system also at my firm. Uh, where uh, in, in the military, nobody becomes a general if they were never a lieutenant. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and so a lieutenant is grooming the, uh, sorry, a captain is grooming the lieutenant, a major is grooming the captain. And the same applies in my firm too, as a professional services firm, everybody's grooming each other, everybody's a mentor, everybody's a mentee. So mm -hmm. a lot of those things still apply. And that's kind of how we have been able to form a very strong group of people that are focused. And we call it the system uh, at, at, in, in uh, internal speak. And we've created a system that allows and then thrives by itself. Okay, so look, I think we can all agree that we love stability. But isn't it refreshing to hear it doesn't have to be the end-all be-all? I mean, the business is always in flux. It's the name of the game in our world. There's a big evolution right now with company cultures. I read on LinkedIn that some companies are moving to more of a family-style atmosphere over the traditional company hierarchy. 
How do you see that working out in your own space, in your own business? If you really look at two areas, metaphorically, two organizations, one is the military, one is sports. You know, you come from different walks of life. You come from different perspectives. You come from different ethos and cultures. And together you're, you're banding as a, a group of people. Family, you are stuck with each other. You cannot say anything. There's a different nuance to that. But in a team, you can get cut. In a team, you are we are expected. And as a professional team, you know, uh, and especially in most of the uniform services in the world, you actually are assuming that the person behind you has your back and they are mm -hmm. professional mm -hmm. enough to have your back. They're not like just chilling and like, I'm not interested. They're all here for a shared purpose, uh, whatever that be. And that's the same that applies. Whereas in a family, some of those shared purpose can sometimes be a little loose. And uh, we used to initially say a lot that, you know, that the firm is like the family, but then we realized that the dynamics of family sometimes may not directly correlate to this. So we are a team that's trying to, if you're looking at a sporting team, we're trying to win the Olympic gold medal, nothing less. So if that means that, you know, you have to sacrifice, you know, drinking and eating oily food and whatever that is, that is what it is. And you expect that person next to you is doing the same thing and you are doing the same. And everyone is, is working through that same ethos for the common goal. Family, sometimes that becomes very loose. So I'm Satyam Kantamnani. I'm uh, the co-founder and managing partner of a user experience design firm called UX Reactor. We are headquartered in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and what do we do? We actually help organizations drive insane business value through user-centered innovation. This is often helping companies drive understanding of their users, defining experiments around that and helping them nail it. In our watch, no company will ever fail in a product market fit, which is 40% of the failures mm -hmm. uh, of many uh, entrepreneurial ventures. They don't know who the customer is, why they will come to them, why they, how they are evolving. And then our specialization, obviously, uh, right now is in the digital te uh, technology and digital innovation. So uh, that's kind of who we are. So the simplest answer is everything digital. Now, uh, to just give a take a three take a higher view of that, the whole world is getting digital at this point. I mean, right around me, we have about uh, ten different gadgets. And what's happening is there's no experientially. It's not easy. How I use my Alexa is not the same way. How I use my mobile phone is not the same way. How I use my Zoom call. And so there's just so much that people have to navigate in terms of technology. Right now, if you look at a hospital, it has uh, at least about uh, last count I was talking to someone, 50 logins for someone to kind of work through a, you know, a standard hospital administration. That is unacceptable. And when you have to work through 50 logins, understand 50 things, errors will happen, mistakes will happen, learning is hard. We are trying to take that problem. And especially as everything is getting hyper-digitized, how do we do that? We understand every user in the ecosystem, understand their customer's journey, understand the pain points, the opportunities, and then really go and clean that up through design, through iteration, through research. Uh, and then obviously give uh, work with the engineering teams that we, do, we don't do any engineering at our side, but we work with uh, powerful engineering groups to kind of go build that and then keep iterating on that. But on our watch, we want to, uh, especially if you look at it, the Teslas, the Apples uh, of the world, uh, they are closed ecosystems. They build an awesome experience in an ecosystem. Uh, and that's what we've been doing for a lot of our companies. Uh, one of a company, uh, which has actually started by the first CIO of Tesla, we helped them for two and a half years, build that whole experiential layer for them. Uh, in five years, they are valued at three and a half billion. And they are, uh, wow. last year, they grew 300% year over year. So that's what we do. We kind of help organizations really hone in and build great customer-centered innovation. Oh man, that makes so much sense. 
how any family dynamic is so different from a team dynamic. Sounds like the military upbringing has served you well, even right up until today. In what ways would you say that this translates into helping your clients figure out solutions? Most times, uh, companies have this, most companies have these problems, they just don't understand who to go to. Uh, and these are problems like, hey, my users are not adopting my product. Hey, my users are not getting retained in my product. Hey, I don't even know which user group do I go after, which markets do I target and what product do I solve for? These are all literally business leader questions. Uh, like, my users are not as satisfied or engaged with the product. Mm-hmm. That's kind of literally when we come in and we say, okay, let's go talk to the users. Let's understand what it is. If there is a user and there's a problem, we will figure it out and we will make sure that you know we experiment our way to kind of giving them the best solution. Uh, and especially, as I said, uh, you know, everybody's throwing technology at it. Uh, we, we actually make sure that we build seamlessness from the user's perspective mm-hmm. and then help the organization uh, kind of then uh, reorganize themselves around that user. Most times it's the other way around. The company has a tech stack and they're trying to figure out what do I do with this tech stack? Most times it's like company has an org structure and like, okay, we will figure out a way to get, get there. But the user doesn't care about that. The user just cares about me, themselves, mm-hmm. their uh, pro- problems. And most companies need a, a catalyst to get that mindset shift. Uh, and that is what uh, we are in their end. Uh, but majority of the time they're bleeding. They don't even know they're throwing money at it, but they are yeah. actually you know, just burning through cash. Absolutely. So again, within that, there is also a subtlety, right? Which is uh, a lot of customers say, I'm going to try to build it for every kind of use case. So when you build it for everyone, you're building it for no one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the first thing I advise a lot of uh, you know tech entrepreneurs is like, take a niche, take a customer, make them really awesome delight them to the point and you will extract so much value out of it and then land and, and grow most times they're like hey i'm building a healthcare product for every doctor out there it doesn't work pick mm-hmm. a doctor uh, and pick their journey and then go for it don't try to build a cybersecurity product for every enterprise no pick a type of enterprise and go for it so we help them fine-tune that we experiment with that we actually talk to users we extract a lot of insights so we are actually very much involved in their strategic conversations Uh, This could also be an organization that would hire us, uh, and this is a live uh, story, I'm not just naming the client though, uh, where they literally are like, hey, we want to try to go out in this new market, and we don't know how to, and we're like, okay, let's go, let's create a prototype, let's create a concept, uh, Mm -hmm. and let's go to that new market, talk to them, come back and say whether there's resonance in there, and then you'll get a lot of feedback, users will talk to you if you ask them in the right manner. Uh, and we understand how they're working through that. And then you come back and trade on it. Even before one line of code is written, you have already you know, proof uh, tested uh, a billion dollar product. So you're saying a company could literally be struggling with this issue of usability and not even know it. What does that look like? What can people be on the lookout for to identify that situation? I think there are quite a few, but I'll try to give you a couple. Uh, and, and that'll help uh, at least uh, define. So most times if the leaders or the C-level leaderships are figuring out why is it that our competition is better and how can we leapfrog them? Mm-hmm. That if they are thinking about that particular problem then, and leapfrogging through focusing, like if you're trying to compete by copying your competition, you will always lose. 
Uh, and that's just as the nature because you're, you don't know why they're doing what they're doing and you're just copying it. Uh, but if you kind of go to the user and say, what can I do better for you? And then you kind of drive that. But who does it? I mean, in an organization, there's no single owner uh, for uh, talking to the user, extracting. And now they may be, some may say product managers do that. But then how do you, how does the product manager hold the rest of the departments accountable because they are another silo? So silos are actually becoming inefficient. If a leader start talking about, hey, my silos are like customer success, customer support, you know, product, marketing, sales, they all are silos and organization that no one is actually building a thread around. Uh, so that's also a problem that, you know, they're like, hey, I, I think there's a lot of inefficiency in how we process is lined up. Uh, and how do we make it user-centered from outside and from a user perspective? Uh, and again, these are all leapfrogging strategies where you're yeah. kind of saying, okay, how do I shift my strategy in a way that, you know, I'm uh, differentiated, also uh, building a lot of a moat uh, around me. And, and Warren Buffett talks a lot about the, uh, the business moat. Uh, and many leaders don't even know what that moat is, except for saying that I have better technology, I have cheaper you know, solution. Yeah. Uh, and the last one I would say that most of the leaders struggle with is, not truly knowing what is their experiential journey for their user. They don't even know the measure of success. They're like, oh, we're just shipping products, we're shipping features, but is that making the user's experience better, more delightful, more effective, and, and therefore uh, you know, more profitable? And if the answer is no, no, no. And, and again, the symptoms is high churn, high less satisfaction scores all these things are symptoms but then they need to kind of root cause it and root causing actually has organizational issues process issues everything so again if i was to kind of uh, unravel it to you in that simple way and so you've become an expert of curating the perfect user experience for your clients that can be a tall order with a diverse client base how important are processes and personalizing that user experience to the specific customer journey when you work with your clients? Like most entrepreneurs, you first feel the pain yourself. Uh, and uh, so I felt it. I mean, I was on the other side working and leading design groups and uh, large you know, Silicon Valley companies. Mm -hmm. uh, and then seeing that the, the efficiency of design and to drive business value was highly ineffective. Uh, literally, I, I would say I spent a decade uh, with not much to show. Uh, as a design leader and, a, and as a leader running uh, design groups and, and tunes and sometimes hundreds of people. Uh, however, uh, you also saw the value that, you know, companies like Airbnb or uh, Tesla, Apple have been able to drive through and Amazon have been able to drive through deep customer centric practices. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you kind of say, hey, why is it I'm not able to do it? And so that's the first part. Well, first, you understand the need and you see the pain yourself. And then you go back and start root causing it and you start realizing it's, it's, it's basically four variables is what we realized. Is the right people following right process in the right uh, environment with the right mindsets. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and any one of them can completely screw it. We call it uh, in our, uh, we say the business value of design formula. Uh, but that's when we realized that I have to go back to the drawing board and say, people-wise, we need to build people in a different way and have the right mindsets kind of being imbibed in them. Uh, so today, and uh, UX Reactor has a little over 20 different educational disciplines. We have economists, fashion designers, graphic designers, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, architects. We just have a lot of different backgrounds that have come together with a single ethos. 
process. Uh, we kind of built processes around, you know, took a lot of the processes that already existed, but kind of fine tuned that in a way that it works for driving business value. So you have to be business thinking, product thinking, design thinking. You have to kind of build a lot of those skills and then uh, get that together. You can't play a silo again as much as I preach against the silo. Mm -hmm. And the third is like literally giving them an environment to kind of experiment, practice, evolve. Uh, you know, literally the world has come down to a point and this is in the design world uh, in most companies like, hey, I want to solve world hunger. This is the requirements. Can I get a wireframe by the evening? Yeah, and that's just, you don't. I mean, the creative process is like thinking about it, sleeping on it, evolving it, iterating on it. And that's what the whole lean startup is experimenting on it. That whole process is out of the window. So we said, nope, we're going to experiment and do all those things. Uh, and then have the right mindsets that we're approaching it with. Uh, and, and that's together is what uh, we evolved on and we experimented on for the last uh, you know seven years that we have in existence. And that's how we fine-tuned it. But how did we find it? I mean, we had a pain. We had to kind of go and figure it out. We experimented our way out of it. We started working with a lot of companies, started seeing the value of some experiments, some processes doing better than other. So we are like a teaching hospital. And uh, you know, we want to make sure that no patient dies on, uh, on our table, but at the same yeah. time, we have a cure for every disease. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's basically how uh, this whole journey came to be. And, and then we started working with companies. And now with the book coming out, uh, the big part is that we are putting it out there for the world to understand that, you know, yes, this is doable. Yes, this is actually a system. It's not uh, uh, art. It's actually more of a science. Uh, and uh, let people do it themselves and let mm -hmm. people understand the contours of driving business value by design. A lot of this philosophy applies for everything, whether you're even designing, a, you know, a party for your home. It's the same thing. Like, how do I build an experience for every user in the system? Uh, and uh, or you're doing a massive, uh, it's a mindset. That's why we say more than anything else. Experience mindset is I'm, everybody's getting an experience and I want to make that delight them at every point. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that's how it, where it is. Where we have obviously spent a lot of our time is just understanding as technology is becoming more and more pervasive and humans are getting more and more out of the loop. We want to make sure that technology is helping drive the user's experience, not kind of like my mother still, gets challenged by using an iPhone or an iPad. Yeah. My daughter is much faster and so on and so forth. But I think that's the generation that we're working with. But I had to design a, a different experience for my mother, who's a, a much senior person, versus a kid who's actually much more fast with you know, learning and mm -hmm. the, building the mental models. But everybody is still you know, a user. Everybody have you had to give them a good experience. And that's kind of what you know, we need to kind of drive a lot more. And with technology coming in, we see that as a bigger opportunity. And with trillions of dollars of dollars going to digital transformation, we see that you know, many organizations are actually putting money at the, at the problem and like, hey, let's go and build a tech yeah. stack but not really from a user-centric perspective. In fact, one thing I'll tell you, which is a common scenario with most companies we work with, uh, before we work with them, when they come back to us, is they have, use, they have the technology and they say, hey, we need to build a design on top of the technology. And, and then we say, why are you building the design? They say, oh, we're trying to give them a really good experience. So it's going down to up. Instead of that, the right way of doing it, talk to your users, understand what the users' problems are, define an experience for them, then define the design, and then go figure out the technology. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, think about it. Why is Apple so successful? Because Steve Jobs never would say, oh, what technology do we have? And then go figure out what 
can we do with it? It's the other yeah. way around, like what experience do we want to give and then figure out the technology. And most leaders, unfortunately, are getting caught today, uh, are getting caught in that pitfall of, oh, we have a technology, we have so many engineers who have this technology, let's go build something. And again, I'll give you one more data point. A nine out of 10 companies don't even have an experienced vision defined for what their vision is. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you ask all five, six leaders that are in the C-level, what is your experienced vision? Uh, they can articulate and verbally, but they really don't have any tangible construct to talk about. But mm -hmm. honestly, putting an experience vision together, if you have the right uh, support structure around you, is less than you know a few months, and that will define the next decade of your strategy. Yeah, yeah. Again, these are all subtleties of how you can get there, but many people don't know how to. It sounds like user experience is hugely underrated, both in the attention it gets and the impact it has on business. Is there an industry that you could say absolutely does it right, an industry that's nailed it? But again, this what I also see, why I, why I say technology is important, because you see this already being done really well in other industries. Car, the automobile industry actually always has a construct of a concept car. They try out new things, they evolve new things. Again, they're iteration and experimentation is much slower, which is why a Tesla is doing well because they can rapidly experiment like, hey, today we thought of a new algorithm to kind of look at you know, lights or lane change. They would just deploy that by tomorrow. That's kind of how the fast technology also allows you. But then the construct of having a concept, having a vision and driving towards that. Same with architecture. I mean, you've always had a concept where you, you know, scale model everything. But in technology, unfortunately, it's like hey, PMs write requirements or product managers write requirements. And then suddenly someone goes and designs it and we ship it. And then you forget it and you go to the next feature. No one cares about features. In fact, there's so many features that I can tell you that people, users don't even know where to find it. So it might as well not even built it. So I'll, I'll answer that question. I'll also give you an example. Uh, so the first, it's, it's, there are methods to do uh, all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and especially right now, today's generation, cost of experimentation is literally zero. Uh, if I wanted to experiment and try a new product, I could create that in, uh, over, over the weekend, and then I can rapidly go to somebody and and test it and say, hey, would you buy, buy this? What, what would this solve for you, et cetera? So you can get feedback so fast uh, that you can literally experiment and say like, hey, would this solve, would this solve? And mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And then when you kind of become more and more customer centric and you're like, hey, I have nailed it and I've solved it this way. And then obviously then you prioritize it and prioritization also becomes so much more easier. I'll give you a very uh, a, a example. We're working with a client uh, they were creating a product and then they realized that uh, a lot of doctors were starting to use it in the pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, when doctors started using it, then they realized why they're using it because doctors are trying to share information and then share cases uh, and they're trying to collaborate. However, it's not HIPAA compliant because you can't share stuff. So doctors are also struggling. How do they share information? How do they do this? If you just take that one insight and hone into that, you could actually go and say, okay, now talk to those doctors and say, what are you trying to do? You're trying to collaborate, collaborate across state borders or international borders. Okay, how does that work? Are they tech savvy, not tech savvy? So you kind of just quickly kind of create a prototype, experiment with it and say, okay, now let's, is this what you would need? How it will work? And then all we need to do is HIPAA certification and stuff. In less than a few couple of million dollars of investment, you can get a billion dollar product up and running that is completely working for doctors, solves their problem. And then if you bring the doctors in as your perpetual uh, you know, feedback loop in that process, yeah. you will only do well because you, you, you know where you're going, you're kind of evolving that and you're getting better and better and better. And one thing is that there's a direct correlation with higher margin of the product 
with how well you solve and delight the user. Mm -hmm. uh, users are willing to pay more. In this rapidly hyper-commoditizing world, this is a classic way where you can actually say, I'm solving your problem and they're willing to pay more and more premium for you to solve that problem better. We, we actually uh, are very, very privileged to have a really good body of work. Uh, and uh, my problem was like, we were not driving business value by design seven years down the line. I'm like, absolutely, we have done it enough times. And I just don't know why many companies are not doing it yet. I'll give you specific examples. Uh, uh, we worked uh, 2016, uh, a year out of our, uh, when we started, a company came to us, actually a founder came to us and said, hey, I have an idea uh, and uh, let's, uh, I, I would like to kind of further finesse this idea. And we said, absolutely, let's sit down. Six weeks, we sat down with him, iterated on the idea, evolved it, built out a full-blown concept. I say, this is the idea that I think you're talking about. Now let's go and test it out. Mm -hmm. So uh, we evolved it, tested it. Uh, by the time uh, we finished uh, the, the test, now this person had a prototype, had user feedback. This person was also going and uh, constantly talking to users and bringing feedback in, went to venture capital and said, Here's the product that I'm trying to build. Here's how the users are reacting to it. Had seven term sheets. He had to refuse wow. money at that point. And wow. when not only that, now I'll fast forward that in uh, 2021, they got sold uh, to Microsoft for a nine figure number. Uh, wow. And uh, so that's what, and then they kept to our ethos. Uh, in 2017, uh, we worked with a company which was uh, Techion, which was uh, started by the first CIO of Tesla. Mm -hmm. Tesla, if you realize why they build a great experience is because they understand the construct of ecosystem. They own the car, they own the uh, dealership, they own the, uh, the customer relationship. So they actually can orchestrate great experiences. So the mm -hmm. founder, Jay, actually left uh, Tesla and said, I want to do that for the automotive industry. For 15 months, they tried working through their process of hiring agencies, hiring different people, trying to build out an in-house team. And then they engaged with us. For two and a half years after that time, we worked with them, literally thinking about every user in the ecosystem. If you're looking at automotive retail, there is parts, there is sales, there is uh, service advisory, there is dealership uh, stuff. You actually have to orchestrate a great experience around all of them. And uh, for two and a half years, we've studied those users, iterated on it, built it. Uh, and fast forward now, uh, six years of the existence, their last valuation was three and a half billion dollars and they grew 300% year over year. Uh, and uh, they plan to be a $100 billion company, again, with a, the backbone that we helped set for them and build for them. We also helped build, uh, get them to build our process and the team for them. So they today are completely independent, but with a lot of the scaffolding and the backbone that we helped put, to, put forward for them. Mm -hmm. So those are examples that kind of come together, big companies, small companies. We work with a large telecom, you know, publicly traded company. Uh, and then uh, the, the key thing there was, uh, you know, they wanted to build a product for a telecom provider in the United Kingdom mm -hmm. uh, and from a scratch. Uh, and they wanted to kind of become, again, subscriber centric. Uh, and we ended up uh, building that out in over a year. And that product line itself was worth about 500 billion, a million dollars. So oh. those, are, those are things that we kind of work on. But again, the same philosophy in all of them, user first, experience second, design third, and then technology. And when we kind of approach that and we build processes and methods around that, it just adds so much value. So if you, if you peel it back, right? So a lot of our leaders actually come to us and say, how do I do this? Like, is it doable? And so the first, so we wrote the book in three parts. The first part is understanding the power of design and how it can drive business. Mm -hmm. uh, so if that's all leaders read, that's all they, they need to know. 
and uh, it's fundamentally saying like, you know, hey, this is how other companies have done it. These are the variables that you need, right people, right process, right environment, right mindsets. And we talk a lot about that. We give examples about that. Uh, but that just sets the tone like, yes, this can be done. And then we have the second part, which is 27 different plays. And so what we have done is we've taken a lot of our practice level techniques and, and methods, and we have put it out there and said, questions that leaders have typically is like, hey, how do I build a team? How do I measure the success of my experience? Right? How do I actually create a roadmap around a user? How do I create an experience vision? So we actually have 27 how do I questions. And each one of them, we kind of have a playbook in a mindful manner. We say, be mindful about X, Y, and Z. I always half jokingly said it. If someone had told me what I should expect before writing a book, because this is my first <laughs> book that I authored, I wish they had variableized like, hey, think about these 10 things when you're writing the book. And these are the things you should be, because I, I was learning my way through while doing it. Like, oh, how do I work with an editor? How yeah. do I? And so those how do I statements actually became statements like what are leaders worried about? And then the final part we actually have, we end with uh, clear uh, case studies of uh, how people navigate it. And again, this is for business leaders, experienced practitioners, experienced pra pra collaborators, uh, uh, newbie experience practitioner. So we wrote it as a system again, because uh, different people have to kind of make that ecosystem work. And so it's, it's written in a very uh, thoughtful manner where anybody can jump across the book. If they read only two chapters, they read only two chapters. But so it was actually a design challenge by itself and how do we create a great experience without everyone having to read cover to cover. See, I think most times I'll tell uh, most customers believe they are semi-enlightened where they're like, hey, I'm seeing everybody investing in good design. So they go and start hiring designers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one year later, two years later, they're like, oh, I'm getting a lot of design, but I'm, but I'm not getting, I'm not becoming an Apple. I'm not leapfrogging. And that's kind of the frustration that they have. So when we engage with them, we, it's just like, because we, we, we kind of first have to kind of coach them. And that's the reason the book is also a big part of coaching people, like understanding mm -hmm. that, hey, this is not the way you approach it. Like even mistakes are, where does that design team that you just hired, where does that report to? Is that design? And typically most organizations have a designer of one or two. That's not how it works. You don't build an engineering team of one or two. You have different skills in engineering. You have an API engineer. You have a back-end engineer, front-end engineer. And together, you kind of make that work. The same applies here. The same way at marketing. You have a digital marketer. You have a copywriter. And it's, it's a different skills that come together. So many people make those mistakes. That's kind of one aspect. So when we engage with them, we leave them in a very sustainable manner. So they know measures. Uh, so first of all, the right people and where they're reporting to. So we focus on that. Uh, and and we, in fact, we're starting a brand new after the book has uh, now come out, we are starting out an enablement practice to train people on how to kind of get their talent up and running. Then the process is like, you know, what's your process of building roadmaps? Many people don't have one. Uh, they're like, hey, customers ask me for five features. I'm building five features. And if I don't, my biggest customer is my biggest uh, requirements, uh, you know, generator. That's not how it should work. You are building scalability. That's what sustainability of an organization is on that. You're, you should never have one big customer. You should have many customers who are all you're kind of driving, or maybe it's a certain niche. So again, who's what's your research uh, program? Uh, how are you gathering data? How are you building that? Many companies don't have that. So when we finish, we actually have a research program. We have an experimental portfolio of like what are we experimenting at this point uh, design wise you have uh, clear plans and structures in place around uh, release cycles and so on and so forth the right people the right process has been set 
then talking to the leadership about how do you incentivize this? Like, you know, you can't have if silos, if incentives are not shared and, and journeys are not shared, uh, talking about the customer and bringing in customer centricity on the leadership level. So there's so much that needs to be done. Uh, but again, you can start from, you know, anywhere in this cycle and value can be created immediately. Uh, we call three levels of value creation. There is UI level, which is we can design an awesome screen and so on and so forth, which is majority of where the line of work has been for most companies outside. So we move it now, our majority of engagements is in the next level. And this is also written in the book called the product experience and platform experience, where you start looking at the whole platform and the whole product and start mm -hmm. looking at making sure that the experience work. When you call customer support, you should not get a different experience than how you kind of work through uh, self-service. Uh, and that's, that's the same quality of experience that we want to kind of bring together. And the final level is when you're completely organizationally, experientially transformed, where your metrics, your priorities, your goals are all around how do I wow my users and transform my organization around that. So majority of our work when we work is actually they are UI focused companies. When we, when we touch them, when we end up uh, finishing the engagement with them, uh, majority of them are very good and either product experience and some are already starting to make the transition into experience transforming, transformed organizations. If they're starting from a, being a UI-centric organization, try to become an experience-transformed organization, at least it's about a, a two-year journey. Mm -hmm. uh, however, uh, that two-year journey, once they make that journey, assuming everything goes well, uh, will hold them up for a decade of, uh, of power. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's because now they have transformed themselves. Everything is, is structurally evolved. Uh, so that's the, that's the fundamental shift. However, uh, the other thing to also say is, this is one of those things where you start seeing value within months yeah. because UI gets better, products get better, product prioritization gets better. Everything starts kind of changing and cycles. And, and so you still keep getting value that's being generated. And then obviously when you're fully transformed and you kind of are user first, experience second, design third and technology fourth, then obviously you are in a very different plane. And at that point, you should have no fear from competition because you are the competition. You and your team are bound to see a lot of missteps in really every industry when it comes to user experience. How are they making common mistakes, ones that you see over and over again? Do you any, does anything come to mind? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I was just uh, writing a draft for an article, so I'll, I'll share that hot off the press. Uh, the first thing and foremost is uh, throwing uh, wrong people at, at, at the problem. Uh, the second thing is not looking at it as a system problem, looking at it as like, hey, I need, I, my screens are bad, like literally. So again, you asked me what's the before. Uh, clients come to us and say, hey, my, one of my buyers told that our product doesn't look nice and doesn't feel nice. Uh, can you please come and fix it because we can't sell it to them? And, and then you realize that the root cause of uh, majority of the look and feel is actually bad decisions, bad structures, bad uh, prioritization. So, it's a, so a homepage design is most times actually ends up for any product also ends up as an organizational redesign because the homepage is a reflection of a lot of times of the internal dynamics of what's going on. So again, mm -hmm. so make sure that you think of the system, make sure you're evolving that. Also looking at it from a perspective that it's a profession, not a skill. Uh, many people don't treat it uh, like, hey, I have a visual designer, I have an interaction designer. It's not a skill. It's truly a line of work, just like marketing is a profession. They are specialists and they have a chief marketing officer. That's kind of 
driving it across for the company. The same construct, there should be a chief experience officer that's driving. So these are mistakes that you see. And because of those root causes, you'll see a lot of downstream symptomatic issues. And most times, again, we start solving the symptoms than actually the root cause itself. So uh, UXT playbook is uh, .com is actually the best uh, resource and link for getting the book and material. And uh, just one more thing I wanted to quickly share a call to action for the first 50 people that, uh, you know, buy the book and, tell, and send us a note saying that they found us on your podcast. We'll also give them some extra materials and stuff that we will mail to them. Uh, so they can uh, they can reach out to us. Uh, they can also send us an email at hello at uxreactor.com. I am on LinkedIn. People can reach out. Uh, I love this line of work. Uh, whether we do business with people or not is a different thing, but I love talking about this line of work because I genuinely believe that can unlock so much value. So people can reach out and we'd be more than happy to talk through that. And I'll send you the link. So that'll also be in the show notes, I'm guessing. And uh, yeah. we can uh, you know share that with uh, the large audience. Thanks for listening. Head over to episode number 164 to learn more on customer journey. Odds are, if you're hearing my voice right now, you may be a self-made business owner who feels like living the dream, but the problem is I'm completely unhappy and unfulfilled. And it's like, I looked at my life and I'm like, I should be happy. This is so frustrating. I sacrificed so much and I worked so hard to get to this point just to realize that I'm unhappy and I'm unfulfilled then yes, this podcast is here to help. My life goal, probably much like yours, is to leave a lasting legacy that mattered. On the Pass the Secret Sauce podcast, I share with you everything that I've learned and uncovered from other successful entrepreneurs about building a business and a life with the financial freedom that allows us to give back to others. Let's face it though, it's going to take years for me to share what I know and what I'm able to learn from others in these free weekly episodes. And the truth is, you know, here's the idea. It's fully fleshed out. No, the thing is, you're never going to have a lightning bolt perfect idea. Like it always starts with little things. So if you are waiting for that lightning bolt to come, it's not going to happen. You need to take action now. If you're really committed to leaving a legacy that mattered, by improving your life and your business faster than you could solo, then I sincerely invite you to our Secret Sauce Mastermind. This is a program that I put together so that I can rub elbows with and learn frameworks and systems from extremely skilled and successful individuals. That way, every member, myself included, can shortcut our learning curves. Unlike many masterminds where content is static, we poll our members monthly to find out what the most common struggles are currently. And then we leverage our network and the power of the podcast to bring in experts to help brainstorm unique solutions to our problems. You'll be able to interact directly with our experts on live Zoom calls and also be able to reference our growing historical content library. As a group, we will guide each other through personal and professional challenges while you incubate your legacy in a group who understands not just your goals, but also what makes you, you. If you're interested in applying for the mastermind, simply text, I want to apply to 404-99-SAUCE. And remember, always pass the secret sauce.